0: As I was just sitting down there, uh, I thought I should begin by saying this. How many of you believe that uh, for us as God's people, with God's resources, God's manifold graces and blessings, every need that we see, be it in our community or in other countries, different parts of the world, is both an opportunity and a challenge. Can we say amen to that? Alright. So I trust that, uh, you know, as we, you come to your 41st Annual Missions Conference, uh, you have the passion and the ambition to say, God, I want to increase, not decrease. And by increasing my involvement, my commitment, I'm going to bring greater honor and fame to Jesus Christ. Even parts of the world express it differently. Uh, If you were to be down under in Australia, uh, they would say, I want to make Jesus famous. (laughs) I know you Bahamians don't say that. All right? Uh, Since coming here, I've been learning a few Bahamian expressions. Like, I ain't (laughs) playing. I'm just picking up what it's saying. Uh, You know, in the. Grace Community Church, they were kind enough Uh, First time I came to Bahamas to do some fishing I'm not a fisherman I don't even know how to put the bait in This Dr. Charles Ravming had got to do it for me And throw the line and say, now you just hold the line You feel something tight, just pull (laughs) (laughs) So I followed the instruction And uh, on one occasion, it was too tight And even with my size, I find it hard to pull I said, it's too tight too tight, I said. And everybody on the boat, about ten of them, shouted at me. Hold on to it! You've got real estate. <laughs> yeah, I said, what is that now? I'm too good for fishing. That must be some bohemian expression again. Real estate. So it's wonderful to be here. Uh, let me quickly get into the session for this evening. Uh, we began in the first the adult Bible class and spoke about the defence of the Gospel. And when we talk about evangelism, be it the urgency or whatever it is, there is a need for us as a church to be clear about the message. Uh, Because we are not clear, people are not going to be convinced. And time and again, in different parts of the world, particularly in Asia-Pacific, where we come from, we have found that there is inherent power in the Gospel. The gospel has a power of its own. So this morning, I have tried to share many with many of you that it's like a lion, the truth of the gospel. You don't keep it caged. And whenever a church in any particular country, uh, for whatever reason, keep the gospel within the sanctuary, that's when the gospel will lose its power. It needs to be go out. Uh, there is uh, no need for us to keep preaching to the converted, if you know what I mean. Alright? The gospel needs to be heard not by the converted, by the saints, but it needs to be heard by outside people who have never heard the gospel. Uh, I want you to take note of the verse in Luke 10-2. Uh, we have tried to found our work and ministry in ministries for Asia Pacific according to some of the clear Cut Biblical Principles. So let me share this with you. Uh, Matt began in 2001 officially. And from 2001 and 2006, we were having something like about three or four evangelists. That's about it. Two paid evangelists, full-time, and two others kind of honorary evangelists. And try as we might, the number of people exposed to the gospel, to the preaching and the conversion... Uh, every year, it's around about 100 over people getting converted. Now, we're not decrying this 100 over. We give thanks to God. But we found that the minute we began what you call the REAP program, is an acronym for Rural Evangelist Adoption Program, and begin to empower the church, because the rural church has very little going for it. They don't have a Christian bookstore. Uh, I could tell you about China, China. Uh, you know, the, your famous book across America, what's the one by Rick Warren? The Purpose Driven Life. I was in the at a place called Ta Ching. Uh, it's about one and a half hours by train from where my wife's uh, hometown is. My wife comes from a place called Harpin. Very, very cold. Famous for the ice sculptures. Uh, I believe that one of the Winter Olympics or whatever it is going to be held there very soon. Uh, you know, we were hosted in a. Well, they tried to give us the best accommodation. It was a little apartment, you know, in the village setting. And one day, I have a copy of the the Chinese translation of the Purpose Driven Life, right, the book. And one day, I came into my my room. I saw the the host auntie's uh, daughter kneeling beside my bed and with the Purpose Driven Life in Chinese open. And with pen and pencil, she was copying from the book. So I was kind of a bit puzzled. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm copying your book. She said, why do you copy it? I said, why don't you go and photoset it? She was kind, uh, kind of uh, nervous enough. I don't want to photocet it because it might ban your book and spoil it. you know. I look at her I said, right, we've got tens of thousands of these copies in Malaysia in the bookstore. Take it. I'll give it to you. I said, sure. She was so happy. <laughs> she was trying to copy every word from the purpose-driven life in this day and age. So are you folks with me? Uh, needs do vary in different parts of the world. And you're going to go big in world missions. Uh, one of the things that we need to do is to take seriously the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Because we're talking about world evangelism. And so we need to think well, and we need to think... What is Jesus' way of getting the gospel out to the world? Let's begin with our generation. Many of you who study the history of missions will remember, Pastor Allen, some of you others who study history, church history, the famous 1910 conference in Edinburgh. They, the watchword then by was it John Mott, was the evangelization of the world. Listen carefully before Lausanne, 1910 the famous Edinburgh Conference, the evangelization of the world in our generation. It comes in different forms after that. Then you've got the Lausanne Covenant in 74 and things like that. But I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, the biblical way is always to never do it alone. We do it first with prayer, brother. <laughs> Luke 10-2, the Lord Jesus formula for world evangelization is not try and raise as money as you can first. It's not even trying to look out and recruit workers. The first thing we need to do is to pray to the Lord of the harvest. We don't even select the workers. Our job is to pray, set it up. What is the Lord's work? And He will what? Send forth. Now, let me give it to you in a Greek word. The word that is used for send forth, is not the word apostoleo from which we get the word apostles, the sent ones. But in Luke 10, the word used by the gospel writer Luke himself is the word ekbaleo. And that means that the Lord will throw out. That the Lord will thrust workers into the harvest field. Brothers and sisters, you know why because God sees the world. He knows where the needs are. He knows where the waiting harvest fields are. What do you do? Uh, what is your favorite fruit? You know, I'm not a Bahamian. But uh, if you come to Malaysia, where is Ampuzam? Is she here today? Alright, Ampuzam. What's the favorite big time king of the Malaysian fruit? You better ask Ampuzam to describe It's called the durian. I don't know. Have you folks ever tasted durian? <laughs> All right. Some people, especially Anglo-Saxon, would say it tastes like heaven but smells like hell. Okay, anyway, you got to try the fruit. It's very expensive. You know, you pay lots of dollars just to eat the fruit. Uh, when you have now, the durian fruit is different from your bananas or papaya. Let me talk tell to you about harvest. Uh, you don't go and pluck the durian. You wait for it to fall. Okay? So you got an orchard. Uh, you wait for it to fall. When the fruit is ripe, ready for the picking, brothers and sisters, you need a lot of harvesters. Or if I may put it simple, you need a lot of workers and pickers. It's all over. It's falling this is happening in many many parts of asia particularly in china right my wife comes from china i think in some time in the 1900 let me give it to you it is estimated there are no more than hundred thousand believers all right today will you be surprised nobody can estimate the real number because of the house church movement but easily we are talking about 20 million people who are believers is that a lot Uh, It's very big compared to the Bahamas. I hear that you are about 350,000. It roughly equals the size of the population of Australia. Alright? So, we are to pray to the Lord of Harvest. And so church, thank you for praying. Over in the Grace Community Chapel, I have been told that every month when the uh, missions board, they call it the Global Missions Team, meet, uh, they pray for us and remember us. Uh, As I spend time with some of you, uh, I've been told that even the late Frank Pinder uh, mentions the ministry and pray for the ministry. And that reason, that is the reason why we have relatively good success in the work. All right, let me give you a need and then we're going to go into the scripture. Uh, one of the happy problems, church, that we have today in ministries for Asia Pacific is a happy problem of more new converts in the field than Bibles being made available to them. You got that? So I give an example. In China today, we have something like 22,000 new converts in the rurals of China. No bookshop, nothing. And today, we have only been able to send them something like 8,000 Chinese Bibles. Alright? So this could be a worthwhile project that if you want to share in, uh, you could share in. And uh, depending on a small print, or large print, uh, recently we shipped a thousand Bibles to the rurals, to different parts of China. We, even if you've got money, you cannot buy Bibles and get through the immigration. Uh, we work through the local people. So it's printed locally in Nanjing. Nanking, all right, And then it's shipped across. So we got people to coordinate for us. And uh, averagely, one Chinese Bible would cost you about three dollars of your Bahamian dollar is that a lot of money whole bible right Uh, the recent one we have a believers new believers in the place called yangzhou and when we talk to them to the email they say can you please send us bibles with larger print in the chinese character because most of our new believers are old you know what i mean and they can't see the characters properly i say go ahead we have to pay a little bit extra but that's the situation we're having. Another uh, need for Bibles uh, we're seeing in, in our second most productive field is Myanmar, or what the British would call Burma. In our five to six years of ministry, uh, we are seeing something like just through the work of 12 evangelists, all right, mostly working in the rulers of Myanmar. We have seen in the last, shall we say, about six years of ministry, five to six years, Something like 5,000 new converts. And we have only managed to uh, send th- the first 1,000 Bibles this year itself. Oh, sorry, not this year. I mean behind time. Last year. Last year itself. So there's a need. Uh, it's an opportunity. And it is a challenge. So maybe some of you may want to write, I'll give $4 for a Bible for China. Is that a lot of money? Probably won't buy you a Starbucks coffee. I wonder know how much a Starbucks coffee costs. How many of you are prepared to forego one Starbucks coffee so somebody could have a Bible somewhere? Can I say, here, amen for that one? Alright, don't drink too much coffee. It's not always good for your health anyway. Alright, let's, let's begin uh, with the preaching of the Word. Uh, let's agree so that I don't keep you longer than necessary. Would you be happy if I stopped by 9 or 9.05? Church? Alright. Although they say that the church is not a democracy, you don't call for a vote, you see <laughs> you just carry on. Would you turn with me, please, to the book of Philippians? and uh, yeah, I promise to we'll stop by nine o five okay We'll try and watch keep the time. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter one. We have touched on the importance of uh, what do you call the gospel, that we must defend it. We have talked about the importance in the morning service of the importance of not just defending it, truth, truth of the gospel is like a lion, you got to let it out of the cage and it will do its job, All right? And so we have to confirm it, confirm it by preaching it, by proclaiming it, by broadcasting it, by writing it, by singing it, by testifying of it. But most important, do it. Don't just keep it in the cage. Alright, now we're going to look at another principle in the Scriptures where we can help to meet the urgency of the Gospel. As we think of many people, remember what I said this morning, a hell line and moving towards Christless graves. It is our duty, it is our obligation all right, to everyone outside of the church to share with them the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1, I want to read verses 4 right through to verse 7. And that will be the text for today itself. Paul was in prison when he was writing this letter. It's one of the few letters where the Apostle Paul does not have to invoke his title of apostleship unlike Galatians that we consider this morning because... He had a very warm relationship with his church. He would say, you are my joy, you are my crown. You know, things like that. So in Philippians 1, Paul now, as he remembers his church in his prayers, in verse 4 he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And the reason is found in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel From the first day until now. Ministries for Asia Pacific owes a lot to the Bahamas. Because when we began early in 2001, not many churches joined in. They kind of don't believe in it or whatever it is. And uh, we, we started with two evangelists. Today we are over 360 in 10 countries of Asia. I've got good news for you. This year, very likely in September, we're going to Thailand to Seoul. And we're going to begin with the first three evangelists in rural Thailand. So please pray for the good seed of the gospel that will be sown to these gospel workers, evangelists, that many Thai people will come to know Christ on account of our partnership together in the gospel. Let me read on. In verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, now, notice what the apostle says, huh? whatever condition he's in. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, he says, all of you share in God's grace with me. It's a ministry of grace. It's a ministry of reconciliation. Turn with me to chapter four. Because this, this church is so special for the apostle. Verse 15, Moreover, as you Philippians know, listen and look at what he says, in the early days, in the pioneering days, if you will, when I just set out for the gospel, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, surprise, surprise, a man of the century of the Apostle Paul had to say this, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you, only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you know, as you read the epistles to the Thessalonians, he was there for a brief about two weeks as all. Well. You know, there was uh, people chasing him and he had to hurriedly live because of persecution. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. World well, evangelism and the urgency is that the Lord wants to send workers The church must pray and the church must get involved in the sending of gospel workers. That is how we are able to move from 2006 from mere 100, 100 something every year, people coming to know the Lord. Once we started multiplying with the first 16 workers in China and then you go zooming, you see what you call an exponential increase. There's certainly a sharp bend and it just literally shoots for the sky. Because we have learned to pray We have learned to get churches to get involved and to partner in the multiplication of the workers. That is a secret in the exponential growth of the gospel. Let me quote C.S. Lewis to you now. There is no such thing, church, as a neutral territory, spiritually speaking, on earth. Every inch of territory needs to be fought. And so if you don't proclaim the truth, by multiplying workers, whether in the rural areas of China or whatever, they might get into all kinds of uh, superstition, idol worship, cults. You get a lot of cult spreading in China. You must pray for the house church there because uh, they are especially weary and wary of a cult called the Eastern Lightning Cult. Anybody heard of that? Alright, the Eastern Lightning Cult. Strange cult, but I don't know. Chinese people tend to believe anything, (laughs) you know. It's a cult that says that Jesus Christ has already returned to earth in the form of a woman. How's that? And she is now living somewhere in Hernan. It's the fastest growing cult in the country. So we need to engage with the gospel. In the East Malaysia, you saw a little bit of the mountainous region of Sarawak today to the city, to the uh, DVD. There's a speed race going on for the gospel. All right. The government has sent some 6,000. They, they got, funds. They're the government, <laughs> you know, from the federal side, from Malaysia, uh, Peninsula, Malaysia. They've sent some 6,000 what they call preschool teachers to teach the kindergarten kids. Fully funded by the government. On the pretext of teaching kindergarten, they want to convert the children to Islam. Are you folks with me? And uh, many of the church children have been going. Uh, one of them came back and the child says, you know, mommy, mommy, my, my teacher, you know, says that when we pray, we cannot lift up our hands. We should put it this way. That's the Islamic posture for prayer. Are you with me? Children are getting confused. Two thousand. Religious Islamic teachers are sent to the rurals of Sabah and Sarawak. They don't care if the church is there. They are trying to, going out there to try to confuse everything all over there. There are still many more unrich tribal people in Sarawak alone, and that is a harvest field, a ripe field. The Iban's, that particular tribe in Sarawak, living in the interior, number more than six hundred thousand, and there is now a change in the newer generation. In the 1970s, I reported in one of the newsletters, when evangelists would go to these long houses. You folks, good people here, I don't see any long house. I only see bungalows. But do you understand what I say when I say long house? Well, a long house is a long house. Okay? And uh, in the tribal area, they don't build single bungalows. But it's a long house that can put something at 20 to 30 different families with 20 30 different doors. Shared veranda. But individual homes are built within this long house. But it's like a community living. Uh, The Ibans are enemies. And in the 1970s, let me share this with you, brothers and sisters, uh, some of the local tribal evangelists would go in from the Borneo Evangelicals to share the gospel. Very quickly, they will be shown the door out. We don't want this thing. Thank you. We're happy with our animistic practice. You can go. Don't come and tell us the gospel. The story has changed now, today. The younger generation are more receptive to the gospel. When evangelists go to this long house, now they're saying, thank you for giving us the gospel. We accept. By the way, I've got an uncle over there. They're another part of the jungle. I've got a cousin there. Can you also send evangelists to tell them the good news? Just as you have told me. Are you with me? Alright, so we are having a situation of a wide open opportunity. But Islam is also hot on its trail. And so pray for us because in that part East Malaysia, Sarawak, we are having what you call a speed race for the gospel. Whoever gets there first, plant the flag. So we intend to go there and plant the flag, the gospel flag, the kingdom flag. Let's hear an amen for that one. So it's not just uh, taking your own sweet time. It's time for action. Uh, We started, if you remember the DVD, with one in 2009. We have multiplied almost 60 within two years. That's because of the, the great uh, response from the uh, Malaysian churches and folks from Australia. Well, I don't know, but God forbid that Bahamas uh, should get increasingly Islamic. <laughs> I don't know if they have come here. I haven't seen mosques. Are there mosques in here? Okay. Okay. And so you watch it. <laughs> you watch it because it's a proselytizing faith. Uh, you know, uh, they, they may be shipping if they want to Islamize this place uh, many more black chaps will come and tell you, you know, actually Islam is very black <laughs> black people should be Muslims are you folks with me? Uh, in Malaysia, they try to tell us that you, you know, they are very good Chinese Muslims you know, uh, if you know our history they will always have exhibition uh, celebrating the arrival of a Cheng He, Ching Ho, the famous one <laughs> with his junk ships and all this uh, huge thing during the time of the Ming emperor coming to Malacca. You see, you can be Chinese and still be Muslim. And they'll be parading a lot of Muslim Chinese scholars uh, trying to tell the Chinese that you can be Chinese and still be Muslim. There's nothing wrong with it. Okay, so as we think about the urgency of evangelism, the first point I want to make tonight is we are on a speed race. The second point is there is no such thing as a neutral territory. So when we think about Europe and the decline of the faith in Europe, Okay, I've shared with you also about the West in Canada. I need to add now, uh, now US is fast going down. Some people say it's getting pretty secular. But perhaps the United States held on longer to the faith than Canada because they have not allowed the faith to be domesticated and privatized. Are you with me? It's a very private thing. You do it in your church. You believe what you want to believe, don't cross the line. Uh, in Malaysia... Uh, where we have a plurality of faith, we have Hinduism, we have Sikhism, we are seeing a lot of Sikhs. Uh, do you have Sikhism here? No Sikh temple yet? Okay. People who wear the turban, have you seen them? Okay. Uh, we have Sikh people coming to Christ. We have Punjabi people who are pastors now. You know, and many of them are, are turning to the Lord. We have a lot of Indians on Bursam in Estates who are coming to Christ. We are seeing so many independent uh, Tamil kind of churches being formed in the country now. But, you know, there's always the problem of uh, people who say, you know, you you should keep to your side. You shouldn't come over here Uh, and trying to set up laws uh, to curb these things and all. Uh, Our position, let me share this with you. And perhaps it may be coming to the Bahamas soon about sharing the gospel outside of your churches. Our position is voluntary adult conversion should be acceptable to all. We don't coerce, we persuade. We don't force people to become Christians. Alright? And the freedom of religion simply means that every adult person in Malaysia, and I hope in Bahamas too, should be given the freedom to decide. Can we hear an amen for that? Now, don't take these things for granted. Uh, You need to pray for your country. Because uh, these things may not be happening uh, for too long before some laws are being set in uh, to curb things, okay? Uh, in Singapore, you got to be very careful where we come from. In Singapore itself, uh, they have a law called intolerance, you know, and you've got to be careful uh, even about sharing the gospel. You can get prosecuted in court uh, if you're not careful about the sensitivities and all. All right, let me begin first by saying that one of the trends and challenges in the gospel today is the decline of the gospel in the West. So the language of the West, is it needs what? Re-evangelizing. As I come to the Bahamas, perhaps one of your greatest challenge is deep Christianity. People keep telling me, something is not right with the Bahamas. Uh, high percentage, so to speak, of people who say they're Christians. But uh, is it right? Did I guess a 75% of... Uh, Babies are born out of wedlock. Are you folks with me? So something is not squaring up in terms of Bible values and Christian values. And so it's quite a frightening what's going to happen to this country maybe 10, 20 years down the road. You're probably going to get a lot of angry young men and women in the streets. It's already happening? Okay. Okay. (laughs) And so sometimes this anger can come. I don't know it happens in the Bahamas, but in Australia you got a lot of angry young people. And uh, during vacation, it's very common they started throwing stones around and destroy public property. Are you with me? Pum pum pum, and things like that. Okay. The decline of the faith in the West. Let me give you some statistics. Europe has more nominal Christians than the rest of the world. By the word nominal, I simply mean profession of faith, but they don't attend church. Or maybe they just show up once a year, Christmas time. I don't know in Bahamas whether you have this phenomenon. In Malaysia, we do have some nominal Christians. Somehow during Christmas time, there's never enough seed in the church. They seem to come out from the wall or something. And then they go back once the service is over every year. Finland has more than 90% nominal Christians. Listen. United Kingdom, France, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Australia, Switzerland. By the way, UK and Switzerland are what you call Reformation countries. Are you with me? John Wycliffe. Switzerland, who, who do you think of? All the Johns. John Calvin. 70 to 90% are nominal Christians. Germany, another Reformation country. Martin Luther. Dutch, the Netherlands. Pastor Allen, you were with us in Amsterdam 2000. I think, can you remember the, I think, evangelical secretary or something asking people to come to the Netherlands, Holland, to help them? All right, let me tell you a little story about the Netherlands. How many of you know that Abraham Kuyper is the first prime minister of the Netherlands? And he is a theologian prime minister, very rare combination. Abraham Kuyper, a theologian and a prime minister, the first prime minister of the Netherlands. But today, whoa, Netherlands has really, really slid in. How many of you have been to Amsterdam? How many of you think that it's very hard to be pure and chaste in Amsterdam? It's frightening. Look at the TV and the pornography. I mean, it's it's quite an education for me. You know, just walking around in some of the streets, you see topless girls serving drinks. Oh dear, this is something (laughs) a bit too much uh, for me to handle. Whether you're single or married, it's very hard to, to be pure in, in, in this kind of place. So the Netherlands, Ireland, 50 to 70% are nominal Christians. Listen, let me read this to you. Animism or magic in Slovenia, Britain, West Germany, Northern Ireland continues to thrive. And some missiologists are suggesting that the outcome of the conflict between Christianity and modernity may not be secularism but animism, that is magic. Listen, from anthropological point of view, the fact that we are made as spirit beings, the human spirit cannot be satisfied just with material things. A lot of people don't believe in that. They think that you got more things, you know, the more you get satisfied with. Was it the scientist Blaise Pascal who said that uh, there is a God-shaped vacuum? This is evangelistic insight I'm giving you now as you share the Gospel. There is a God-shaped vacuum I don't know how to put God-shaped vacuum, but it's God-shaped, you know, in the heart of every person. And because it's a God-shaped vacuum, you cannot fill it with bungalows, you cannot fill it with fishing boats. Uh, I must come to Bahamas now. You cannot fill it with real estate. Yeah, I was waiting for the boat and going up with Charles and uh, and admiring the beautiful real estate there. I have to remind the Christians. Hey, brothers and sisters, this ain't paradise. All these beautiful things you see here is going to get replaced when the Lord Jesus comes again. Amen. Where do I get it from? Second Peter chapter 3. Okay? So can we, as God's people, learn to see this country, give thanks to God for the country, for the beautiful waters, and perhaps it's the colour of the waters that attract the tourists as well. But learn to look at it to biblical lens. And remind yourself, this is not home yet. This is not paradise. No matter what I see, it is still paradise lost. And paradise that needs to be regained by pointing people to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Europe needs to be re-evangelized. The Western church needs partnership in the gospel. Missionaries must be sent there because I don't think they can help themselves. And the global church must arise and engage in Asia. Let me just say this to you, and I say it to you as Bahamians. One of my things I do as I travel around is to sensitize, galvanize, I don't know what it was, stir the church in Asia to say, come on, we owe the Western church, we owe even America, we've got Malaysians planning churches in America now. We owe the Western church, we owe the European church a debt of the gospel. All right, for I think Ambusan knows Malaysian history. Christianity first came to Malaysia in 1500 something. First, Roman Catholicism to Malacca with the, with the Portuguese. Then, in 16 something, the Dutch came. That's the first arrival of Protestant Christianity. Then, the British came in 17 something, Sir Francis Light. Okay, and so it's very European. It's the Europeans who brought the gospel uh, to Malaya at that time. And so now that uh, we are doing fairly well. Uh, will it surprise you if I tell you that Sarawak itself, uh, according to some of the leaders, they have something like 62% Christians. Is that a lot? But it wasn't like that in the early 1900s, 1910, 1920. Alright, let me just pause and tell a little story. Five more minutes to go. The largest denomination in my country is what you call the Bono Evangelical Church. Somebody just did a PhD dissertation on it. The, the friend who spoke at my wedding. Alright, a think book. It all began with five Australian undergraduates from a place in Melbourne called Melbourne Bible Institute. Let me give it to you now. That later grew and became Bible College of Victoria. And today changed its name called Melbourne Institute of Te- Theology. Not MIT, huh? the technology. Melbourne Institute of Theology. That's where I'm going to spend my next sabbatical. At that time, it must have been a lot of money. They made a sacrificial giving. It's sowing a seed, you see. And one thing we learn about mission work, brothers and sisters, thank you missionaries, is that you don't despise the mustard seed. You never despise it. Uh, can I say to you, don't even despise a bohemian $1. Okay, if God has touched you, put it in. Is going to do great wonders. So these five uh, young undergraduates, I think three of them are from the Brethren Assemblies. One of them lived into his 90s. He was even given a green card equivalent, a red IC, to travel unlimited to come back to visit the tribes that he that he had gospel work in. Hudson Southwell is his name. They were young students and they were passionate and they read about a particular tribe. I give you the name called the Lun Bawang tribe. This tribe, uh, they really need the gospel. This tribe. Gets drunk. You know they have this festive season and they don't do anything. Everybody drinks some kind of rice wine. The men get drunk. The grandmother gets drunk. You know the cousins get drunk. The little kids get drunk. Everybody is just drinking. That's their culture. Even the pigs get drunk. Yeah, I'm mean, serious. There's a there, there's a book written by a missionary concerning this tribe, the Lun Bawang tribe, called "Drunk Before Dawn." Everybody, everybody be sleeping, and so the missionaries, young uh, aspiring missionaries from the Melbourne Bible Institute began to say, we felt a burden to take the gospel to this tribe. They began first by sowing some money and founded what you call the BEM, Borneo Evangelical Mission. How much, you know, they gave at that time? Probably is a lot for them in the 1920s. 50 Australian dollars to found a missionary society. All right, let me fast forward. Today, the fastest and the largest growing, can I use the word now, denomination in my country is the Borneo Evangelical Churches. Saba has more than 200,000. Is that a lot? Sarawak has more than 200,000. Put together, it's about the population of the Bahamas. But it started with people who sowed in faith. We've got a burden, we're going to do something. Now, the gospel has transformed this particular tribe. Today, if you go to the Prime Minister's Department in Kuala Lumpur, you will find that uh, one of them is a minister in the Prime Minister's Department. Today, they are no more drunk because the Christian faith has transformed them. The Christian gospel has transformed them. Today, the ambition of every tribe is every Loon Bawang family a graduate we're going to produce to the university. Let me give God a hand for this one? This is a transformation power of the gospel. And so, sow the seed. Praise God for Camp Bahamas. Praise God for what our brother and sister is doing. Uh, I, I get excited about youth work. Uh, how many of you have heard of uh, John Stott? Hands up. A little quiz, keep you awake. How many of you heard of Michael Green? Some of you. Alright, Pastor, I'm going to test you now. Have you heard of Eric Nash? Okay, you're thinking that means you don't haven't heard of him. <laughs> I'm not sure. Eric Nash is a Scripture Union man, single, and he gave his life, targeted ministry, to what is called the public schools in UK. Public schools are the rich man's kid schools. Are you with me? And he would run his, Eric Nash, they call it the bash camps, summer camps or whatever. John Stott, Michael Green was saved to this camp. And not just that, discipleship. Eric Nash would write letters to them, try and answer all their boyish problems and doubts and things like that, and, and help them through their teen years. It was in these camps that John Sot had his first goal at preaching. And So I want to affirm the work of Camp Bahamas. As I stand here before you, I remember one evening in 2008, when I was here with all of you, uh, Frank Pinder stood up and literally thundered at all of us. We, say, we gotta support Camp Bahamas. Something like that. I remember 2008. We gotta get all young people in this country before the devil gets hold of them. How many of you were there? Remember those words? I think those were prophetic words. And we need to pay heed to that. Okay? Uh, you know, everybody, let me conclude now because of the five minutes. I, 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 let me just stop here at Europe. We'll come to Asia. The next round. Everybody here needs to challenge. Yourself. Can I challenge you? This particular mission, why don't you write a mission statement? What is your purpose in life? Okay? Don't just say every day, I thank God I admire the Bahamian waters. I mean, that's fine. But that's not good enough for purpose. What is your purpose in life? Okay? Let me give you one purpose statement from the great missionary, the Apostle Paul. And if you want to understand the power of his ministry, why, in, within ten years, he can evangelize the the whole of Asia Minor, and then he's going on to other places, to Spain, and things like that. Turn with me as conclusion to Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-four. On this verse, I want to close for this evening. All right, that the power of getting the gospel out lies, first of all, in a personal mission statement. I need to focus. Life is short. Life is brief. And so I cannot be doing everything. I just want to focus on what God has put on my heart to do and do it with God's help, with all my might. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. If you want to understand the secret of the power of the Apostle Paul's ministry, 14 of the 27 New Testament letters comes from his pen. And they are, if you will, not just theological documents. He is not trying to write systematic theology. They are all occasional letters written to real-life church situations and problems. And many of these churches, he himself had founded. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Let's look at it. This is his life mission statement. And I hope that this particular mission conference, you will begin to craft out a life mission statement for yourself. Okay, let's go at it now. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. That's not important. Whether i got a bigger piece of real estate or not, that's not the main purpose in my life. Praise God if I have won. If only, listen to his life purpose statement, I may finish the race. So Paul's focus is always wanting to what? Finish a race. I have a race to run, a race for the gospel. I intend to finish it strong I intend to finish it well. And what? Complete the task. So Paul is a man of a single task. What is the task? It's not in the plural, you see. It's only one. There's no S there. One task. I want to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Dash. Now he defines the task. So I ask you in your life statement, please define what is your life task. Paul's task is this. Listen carefully. The task of testifying. Not trying to convert the whole world, but he just wants to testify to the gospel of God's grace. What is my task? To bear testimony to the gospel of God's grace. What is my task? To multiply the work of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And so, help us God. So that we don't become too comfortable people, that we live for ourselves. But we live for the Lord is that verse that Antoine gave to us, I think, Second Corinthians. For the Lord who loved us and gave himself for us. Alright, for good measure, you may want to take down Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. That's the power of the Christian life. That's the power of the multiplication. When you consider your life worth nothing to you. I live, you're not I, or I live, uh, nevertheless, not I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20. And the life that I now live in this body that you see, in the flesh. How do I live it? I live by faith. Let me explain. Great faith is possible when we have a deep experience of of the grace and the love of God. I live by faith. Faith is always in a person, not an object. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. You know, when you know that somebody loves you, you trust the person. (laughs) And gave himself for me. So beyond your giving, can I challenge you? Would you please hand your life to the Lord? Would you please learn to die to yourself? Let me put on a positive spin now. Would you please, brothers and sisters, will the will of God for your life. And so help us God.